Have you ever thought about how many decisions you make each day? It's very interesting. Uh, a researcher for com- from Columbia University recently did a study. Her name uh, was Sheena Iyengar, and she found that the average person makes about 70 decisions of consequence each day. Now, now, a decision of consequence was basically like, do I go to church or, or not this morning? Do I have a cup of coffee or a glass of milk at breakfast? So she's not talking about like every time you decide to lift the cup and drink it, but she's talking about decisions of consequences, the big choices you make each and every day. And in her research of over 2,000 people, she found that the average person makes around 70 decisions of consequence every day. Now, if you do the math, that adds up to 25,500 decisions every year. If you live a life of around 70 years, that means you will make, over a lifetime of 70 years, 1,788,500 decisions. And most of those 1,788,500 decisions will have a direct bearing on the person that you're going to be. Wow, that's something to think about. Friends, the decisions that we make in our lives are monumentally consequential. But there's an even deeper aspect to this issue. Because it's not just the decisions that we make, it's not just our choices that are consequential, but it's the question of what or who is guiding the choices that we make. A few weeks back, I had the opportunity, uh, my friend Greg Kokel, who was one of our speakers at our apologetics conference this year, he was here in town, and he, uh, he's a big bass fisherman, so he wanted me to take him out fishing. So I asked my buddy Dan Cammer over here. Dan's one of the best fishermen I know. And uh, Dan grew up on Chisago Lake. He, he knows the lake like no one else. And uh, so I said, Dan, would you take me and my buddy Greg out fishing? Well, we went out. We had a great time. Dan took us out for about five hours, and uh, Dan knows that lake. I mean, he took us to all the hot spots. I mean, it was like we were going here, we caught fish. We were going there, we caught fish. Everywhere he took us was right on an incredible spot, and we fished for about five hours and caught over, I think, 30 bass, big bass, over the course of our outing that day. It was an awesome time. Well, it was very interesting. I got home later that night. And, uh, and I thought to myself, man, I have learned so much from fishing with Dan over the last few years. And, I, and I've got an app on my smartphone, which uh, is actually a, a navigation app for when you're out on the lake, and it will track your course. And so just out of curiosity, I went back about 10 years and looked at one of my first outings on Chisago Lake. And I'll tell you what, my map of where I went fishing that day, I was all over the lake. I mean, I was drifting this way, that way, running across, trying over there, running down here, trying over. I had no clue where I was going. And the course on that app that I had plotted that day, I mean, it showed me going all over the lake, like just wandering aimlessly. And what that led me to realize was having a capable guide, having a trustworthy guide makes all the difference in the world. Instead of running haphazardly from one place to the next, having somebody who can lead you and guide you and point you consistently in the right direction, it makes all the difference. And the same is true, friends, when it comes to the choices we make in our lives, when it comes to navigating the decisions that we have to make in our lives. The question we need to ask is, how are we making our way through life today? 
You know, as you go through your life on a daily basis, are you just like haphazardly making choices, one from the next, hoping this works out? Maybe I'll try that. Well, you know, the culture tells me to do this. Well, wait a minute, the culture changed. Now it's telling me to do this, right? What's guiding the choices that you're making in your everyday life? These are consequential. So what's the basis? Or or who or what is your source of guidance today? Now this morning... We're going to continue on in our series through the book of James. And today's passage brings us to a topic that is really at the heart of James's letter. It's the topic of obedience. Obedience. And what we're going to see today is that James makes clear that there is really one decision that outweighs all the others that we must make. How will we respond to God's truth for our lives? Will we trust him? Will we obey? Now, friends, you may recall that three weeks ago when we began this series, I I warned you, I warned you very clearly, James is going to challenge us at points, all right? And today is one of those challenging passages. We're going to come across passages like Jake quoted this morning, James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says, right? I mean, James doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he just basically tells it like it is. Don't just listen to the word, do what it says. So we're going to be challenged this morning, but I want to tell you, while it's a challenging passage, it's also a passage with a powerful promise. And that promise is this, God honors our obedience. God honors the man or woman who walks faithfully in his ways. And so what we're going to find today is that James tells us that genuine faith is a faith that obeys the word. And a faith that obeys the word is a faith that leads to blessing. What I want to do this morning, we're going to read our passage, then I want to come back, and I want to highlight for us uh, the obedience that leads to blessing, as shared by James in our passage this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 1, finishing chapter 1 today, verses 19 through 27. So let's read this together, and then I'm going to come back and share some thoughts on this passage. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So here again, a challenging passage, but at the same time, a passage that gives us some keys to experiencing God's blessing in our lives. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the obedience that leads to blessing. And and where is that found? 
the obedience that leads to blessing. Where is it found? We're going to look at three areas where we find the obedience that leads us into God's blessing. Number one, James tells us it's found in a life that is receptive to the word. A life that is receptive to the word, the word of God. In verse 18 from our passage last week, if you remember last week's sermon, we saw that God in his grace gives to us new birth through the word of truth. The word of truth is the message of God's revelation to us, the message of God's plan of salvation, but also really it's an all-encompassing description of God's revealed truth to lead us and guide us through our lives the word of truth. And now here in verses 19 through 21, James is encouraging his readers to continue to embrace the word planted in you. In other words, James, friends, he's saying to us the key to understanding an obedient faith and the key to understanding our passage this morning is really to understand that James is speaking about the word of God and our response to it. Okay, everything that he talks about in the passage we just read is all about the word of God. So, so when James starts out, for example, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Those are great principles to apply to your personal communication with others. But that's not what James is talking about here. He's going to deal with our interpersonal communication in a later par- portion of his book. But what he's talking about here is our response to the word of God our response to God's revealed truth. And so in other words, when you read these verses, what you should be thinking is it is, our, it is the word of God that we should be quick to listen to. It is the word of God that we should be slow to speak against. It is the word of God that we should be slow to become angry with. Because it is by receiving the instruction of the word that we will grow in the righteousness that God desires for us. That's the message that James is communicating today. Now, sadly, for many people today, when it comes to the word of God, they approach God's truth exactly the opposite of how James encourages us. Many today are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Instead of humbly listening to the word and profiting from it, many people hear the teaching of God's word and then resist it or they rebel against it and they do so to their own peril. My friend, Sean McDowell, who's spoken here at our church, Josh McDowell's son. Sean had a debate just a couple months ago with a, with a young man in Los Angeles. His name's Matthew Vines. And, and it was a debate whether or not the Bible approves same-sex relationships And Matthew Vines is is a young man who claims to be an evangelical Christian, but he has adopted a revisionist reading of the Bible that says God is totally in favor of same-sex relationships. And and so in this debate, which, which you can see on YouTube if you like, it was a very cordial, friendly, warm debate, but Sean made very clear that, look at when you read God's word, the plain and straightforward teaching of the word of God is that God created human sexuality to be expressed in a lifelong committed relationship between a man and a woman. That's the clear and consistent teaching throughout the Bible from beginning to end. 
And so Sean was presenting this case, but throughout the debate, Matthew Vines just kept pushing back against it. Well, no, that's not really what that passage means, or, or maybe we need to interpret that a different way. And, and, and so instead of being slow to listen to what God has to say, he was quick to respond and quick to speak against. He, he performed all of these interpretive gymnastics to try to make the word of God say something different from what it truly communicates. And we do this all the time, friends. It's not just on that particular issue, but people in our culture today, even many of us in the church, sadly, we look at the clear and plain teaching of the word of God on a whole host of issues. And when it butts up against our own personal interests, our own personal desires, our own personal opinions, we resist it. We rebel against it. We push back against it. We argue with God on a whole host of issues, how we use our money our attitudes towards lust and pornography, our response to injustice in society. And again, anytime God's word challenges us or confronts us in a way that we don't like, our human tendency, because of the sin nature within us that we talked about last week, is to resist the teaching of God's word. And the danger in this is just like James warns. James basically says here, look, this kind of attitude towards the word isn't going to produce the righteous life that God desires for you. And so in verse 21, James admonishes us, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James says, humbly accept the word of God. Don't resist it. Be be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to get angry. Listen to the word of God. Humbly accept the word of God. See, friends, God has given us his word to lead us and guide us into life and life to the full. That's what the message of scripture is all about. How we can know God, have a right relationship with God, and then walk faithfully in his ways that lead us to life. That's God's desire for us. But we choose, we have to choose to humbly accept his word. And this can be a very difficult choice when when we're living today in a culture where we're immersed today in a culture that, that is totally rebellious against God. I mean, you don't have to look too far to realize that that the culture around us that we live in is in complete opposition to the truth of God's word. We hear it in our music, we see it in our TV shows, our movies, the magazines. We re- I mean, it's all around us, the influence of the world. And so this is why James warns us about getting rid of all the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and instead humbly accepting the revealed truth that God has given us in his word. It's just like the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 too. Paul says, be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the culture that we're immersed in lead you astray. Don't let it conform you to its ways, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? It's as James says, you listen to the word. You stay in the word. Friends, if you remember last week when I spoke on temptation, I made the comment, what you feed will grow. And it will become the dominant influence in your life. I've shared this story with you in the past. When, when I was a bachelor, my brother and I lived together in our townhouse. And, and we had a plant that we affectionately referred to as the beast. 
and, and this, this plant, it was a viney plant, and, and these vines just kept growing and growing. And so we, we one day decided, you know what, instead of trimming this plant, let's see how long we can get these vines to grow. And so we set it up on the loft out in our townhouse with a, you know, right in front of this big sunny window. We fed it, we watered it, gave it plant food. And over the course of a year, the beast literally began to take over our townhouse. I mean, we had vines draped all over the place, spread out throughout the whole house. You see, friends, what you feed will grow and it will become the dominant influence in your life. It will take over your life. And the same holds true spiritually. So, so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we feeding with ourselves today? What are we feeding ourselves with today? What are the dominant influences in your life? Are they things of the world, things of the culture, or are they the truths that God has given us to lead us to life and life to the full? Because how you answer that question will really, by and large, determine the kind of person you're going to be. The influences that you ingest will ultimately bear the fruit in your lives. And so if you want to experience the blessing of God in your life, if you want to grow in righteousness, the first step, James says, is to humbly receive the word of God. Receive the word of God. Secondly, this morning in our passage, if you want to experience the obedience that leads to blessing, number two, James tells us that it's found in a life that's responsive to the word of God. So we need to receive the word, but then James says we need to respond to the word. Let me read verses 22 through 25 again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Verse 22 here could really be the theme verse for the entire book of James. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That's really the whole point of the book of James. James wants us to, to receive the word, but then he wants us to respond to the word obediently. Now, now, let me just share a little illustration for you. There's a big difference, okay, when you go out to a restaurant, there's a big difference between reading the menu and eating a meal, okay? Last Sunday was Father's Day, and Sunday evening for Father's Day, my family and I, we went over to Norman Quack's over in Forest Lake, and uh, I was reading through that menu, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get a special meal for myself on Father's Day. So I'm reading through the menu, you know, and the steaks and the ribs, and my mouth is just watering. You know, I'm thinking, ooh, that would be so good. And, and I, you know, and I had my heart set on some ribs, and so I'm reading the description. I mean, I'm telling you, I could just taste the flavor. But friends, what if I had just read the menu and enjoyed the description in the menu and then said, thank you so much, and walked out of the restaurant? I would have been missing out. I would have been missing out on the ribs. It's one thing to read about the ribs. It's another thing to eat them. I mean, they were good. But so many people approach God's word that exact same way. They read the word, but then they fail to do what it says, and thereby they miss out on the full experience, the full joy, the blessing that comes from ingesting the word of God. 
And so James reminds us here that a genuine life of faith is about more than just hearing the word. It's about putting the word into practice in our lives. Friends, do you realize you can come here to church every Sunday and you can listen to the sermon each week and you can take notes on the back of your worship guide and yet you can be completely deceived? That's what James says. It's possible. It's possible to listen to the sermon, even take notes on the sermon, even underline your Bible, and yet walk out of here completely deceived. How does that happen? It happens when you hear the word. You receive it, but then it makes no difference in your daily life. There's no response. James says that kind of a person is a person who is deceived. And James highlights this sad reality with an illustration that all of us can grasp. He says it's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at his face in the mirror, he walks away and completely forgets what he looks like. A couple months ago, tell you an embarrassing story. I was getting ready one Sunday morning, and I had just gotten out of the shower, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I realize I got a big whitehead on my nose, the tip of my nose. And I'm thinking, all right, and I can't get up preaching with that on my nose, right? So I was going to take care of it, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, uh, but before I had that opportunity, all of a sudden I hear, you know, yelling and screaming upstairs. I don't know, your kids probably never have issues on Sunday mornings, but my kids were yelling and screaming about something upstairs. So I go marching out of my bedroom and, you know, walk upstairs, try to figure out what's going on, calm the situation. Well, I completely forgot about the big whitehead on my nose, the big zit I had. So I end up going on, getting ready, and I make my way out the door, and I come here on a Sunday morning, and I preach two services, and I shook everybody's hand at the back door. And then I went to the bathroom at the end of the morning. And lo and behold, I look at myself in the mirror, and sure enough, I got a big whitehead right here on my nose. Now, I'm thinking to myself, what a goon. I mean, how many people were looking at me, shaking my hand, and thinking, what is Pastor Jason doing with this big zit on his nose? But... But again, I mean, that's what James is talking about. James is talking about, look at the person who hears the word and does not put it in practice is like a person walking around with a big zit on his nose all day. All right? Do you want to be that kind of a person? No. All right? Now, look at, I understand stuff like that happens. It's just part of life. But again, James is saying, look at, it's more than just hearing the word and then walking away and not doing anything about it. It's about receiving the word and then responding faithfully to it. James says, don't merely listen to it and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, one of the saddest realities for us pastors is knowing people who have sat under our preaching, who have clearly heard the teaching of the word, and yet they've walked away from their faith. There's nothing more heartbreaking. And again, I can imagine that James, as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he knew that pain. How, how can that be? How can you hear the teaching of the word, the truth that God has given us, the message that leads to life and life to the full, and yet totally walk away and disregard it? And yet people do that all the time. It's so tragic. After warning us of the dangers of straying from God's revealed truth, James next turns to the promise of blessing for those who receive God's word and respond in obedience. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, 
he will be blessed in what he does. Friends, James says blessing comes to the one who reads the perfect law of God, doesn't ignore it, but puts it into practice in their life. And James says that person will experience the blessing of God. What an incredible promise. James says this is the perfect law that leads to freedom. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Jason. How does the law give freedom? I mean, isn't the law a constraining force? I mean, aren't laws created to to put boundaries on our lives? Well, some of you who are parents here, let me just ask you a question. Why do we make rules for our kids? Right? Why do we make rules for our kids? Do we make rules for our kids because we want to squelch their joy? We don't want them to experience the, the full joy and fun of life. No, we make rules for our kids. We create boundaries for our kids because we know that true joy, true blessing is found within the restraints and the constrictions of doing things the right way. You know, when we go up to our family cabin, one of my kids' favorite activities is to go tubing, right? They love going out tubing, but we have a rule. Look, if you're going to go tubing, you have to wear your life jacket, right? And no matter how much they complain about putting on that life jacket, I tell them, look, you're not getting on that tube until you put the life jacket on. Now, do I make them wear that life jacket, which I understand, obviously, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes a little constricting. Do I make them wear that life jacket to squelch their joy and their fun and the enthusiasm of tubing? No, I put the life jacket on them because I know that by wearing the life jacket, they will experience the freedom to truly enjoy the fun that tubing can be. You see, when they have the life jacket on, they don't have to fear that if they get thrown off that tube, that they're going to drown. They don't have to fear getting stuck in the middle of the lake and, you know, and paddling and screaming for somebody to come rescue them. They can experience the joy of that to its fullest, the way it was intended to be. And it's the same thing for us, friends, with the Word of God. God gives us His perfect law not to constrict or constrain us but so that we can know the full blessing of life walking in his ways. My grandfather, he was a pastor for 50 years. He used to preach a message on the Ten Commandments. He called it the Ten Great Freedoms. The Ten Great Freedoms. And he talked about how when a culture or society embraces the Ten Commandments, instead of finding restriction, they experience great freedom. I mean, mean, think about this, friends. What if we lived in a culture today where everybody practiced thou shall not steal? Well, you'd live in a society of great freedom where you no longer had to worry about locking your doors at night. What if we lived in a culture that, that put into practice God's word, you shall not tell a lie? Would you ever have to worry about the dishonest used car salesman again? No, you'd experience great freedom in knowing that people were speaking the truth. What if our culture practiced God's command, thou shalt not commit adultery? Friends, you'd find the freedom of knowing that you'd never have to fear your wife or your husband cheating on you or somebody trying to steal them from you. You see, instead of constraining us, God's law gives perfect freedom. And this is why in verse 25, James tells us, look, if you look intently on the law and obey the law, you will be blessed in what you do. 
Following God's truth always leads to blessing. One of, one of the great privileges I've had in my ministry as a pastor has been able to visit people at their bedside in their final days, sometimes final hours of life, as people are preparing to go home and meet the Lord. You know, and it's very interesting the things you talk about with somebody when they're approaching the end of their life. You talk about their family. You talk about their joys. You talk about the, the joy of looking forward to heaven. But I'll tell you something, friends. In those conversations with people, as they know their life is coming to an end, I have never once met a follower of Jesus who regretted obediently following God's ways. Never once. Did you ever regret a time in your life where you trusted God, where you followed him obediently? I've never once heard a Christian say, you know what, I wish I wouldn't have followed God at that time. But you know what, I can tell you dozens and dozens of stories of people who say their greatest regrets in life came from not following God obediently, not walking in his ways. See, friends, the life of obedience is a life that leads to blessing. Stay in the word. Receive it humbly and then respond to it in obedience and you'll experience God's blessing. The third thing James tells us in our passage, verses 26 and 27, if you want to have a life of obedience that leads to blessing, it's found in thirdly, a life that's religious according to the word. So we're going to be receptive to the word. We're going to be responsive to the word. But then James says, be religious according to the word. Now, now the word religion doesn't always have a very popular reputation in our culture today. In fact, I was talking to a guy here in town recently, and he found out I was a pastor, and his, his first words were, well, I'm not a big fan of organized religion. A lot of people don't like the idea of religion today. And I think that much of this is due to the fact that, that what many people see as religion in our culture today is really a counterfeit of the true religion that is acceptable to God. What most people think about religion, when they think religion, what they envision are, are outward rituals that have no ultimate bearing on a person's life. But that's not what James is talking about when he talks about religion that God our Father accepts. James highlights here in verses 26 and 27 that true religion, religion that is pleasing to God, is about an inner transformation of the heart that manifests itself in a growing lifestyle of Christ-likeness. It's a life that has received the word and responded to the word and then begins to bear the fruit of the word. And here in verses 26 and 27, James shares with us three examples of what this kind of life looks like. Three marks of a religion pleasing to God. James says, number one, it's a life of transformed words. A life where the tongue has been tamed. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Friends, a religion that is pleasing to God first and foremost is one that bears the fruit of a tamed tongue. Okay, understand this. Here's what James is saying. Look at you cannot call yourself a Christian and then go through life each day swearing like a drunken sailor. Okay, it doesn't work that way. Okay, Jesus himself told us, 
Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of a person's heart, the mouth will speak. And so if your language is characterized by foul words and swear words and and demeaning language and, and mocking people, right? If that's the character of your language, friends, you really need to evaluate where your heart is. Because the first evidence of a true religion that's acceptable to God is about a transformed tongue, a tamed tongue that bears the fruit of what God has done in your heart. Secondly, James says it's, it's not just your transformed words, but it's your transformed works. James says that, that a transformed heart, a religion that is pleasing to God, will bear the fruit of a heart for hurting people. And here in his passage, James specifically uses the examples of orphans and widows. Religion that God our Father accepts is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And you see what James is doing here, it wasn't specifically so much about orphans and widows as it was about a general principle of helping the hurting and having a heart for the hurting. And in his culture, orphans and widows were at the top of the list. In terms of the downtrodden in society in James's day, it went like this. You got lepers and then you got orphans and widows. These were the three groups of people that had no recourse in society, nobody to care for them. Nobody to help them. If you were an orphan, there was no social, if you were a widow, there was no social security. There wasn't any foster care system, right? You're on your own. And James is saying, look, if you are a follower of Jesus, your heart should break for people who are the least of these in our world. James challenges us to embrace a heart for the hurting. Do we care about the least of these in our culture? Are we moved to do something to help alleviate their suffering and pain? Certainly widows and orphans are one example, but there are many people in our world today that need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside them and be the hands and feet of Jesus and alleviate their suffering and help them in their hurting. Thirdly, James says, the mark of religion that's pleasing to God, it's found in transformed worship transformed worship, a pursuit of purity. James comes back to the same theme that he talked about earlier. He says, not only do you look after orphans and widows in their distress, but you keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Your whole lifestyle, your whole worship of God is transformed, not just about what you do on Sunday morning, but it's about how you live your lives on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul talked about this concept in Romans 12 again. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, see, James said earlier, get rid of all moral filth and all evil, right? And instead, receive the word, respond to it. Let it begin to grow in your life. Put it into practice. You're going to begin to see the fruit of that word transform you from the inside out. That's what James is talking about here. It's not about conforming to the culture around us. It's about letting God's word conform us so that we begin to bear the fruit of the true religion that is pleasing and acceptable to God. See, that's what it's all about, friends. It's about heart transformation. This isn't about performance-based ritual. It's about God's spirit transforming our hearts through the power of his word, leading to a whole new way of living. I've done a few weddings this summer, and one of the coolest things I saw all summer in the various weddings that I've been a part of, Josh Soderlund, 
a couple weeks ago, got married. And uh, Josh Soderlund, when he was given his speech uh, at his wedding reception, he was thanking his mom and dad. And one of the coolest things he's, he's shared, he said, and mom, I want to thank you because you taught me the source of real joy. And Josh went on and he explained real joy. My mom taught me joy stands for Jesus, others, and you. You want to know real joy, you put Jesus first. And then you put others second. And then you worry about yourself third. And this young man, he looked at his mom, he said, you taught me that truth from the time I was a little boy. And he said, I've experienced true joy in my life. As I've put Jesus first, others second, and myself third. See, that's the kind of religion James is talking about here. James is saying, if you want to experience the blessing of God, the blessing of God is found by staying in the word following God's will for your life. You want to experience blessing. You want to experience true joy. Put Jesus first. Receive his word humbly. Respond to it in obedience and serve others. This is the kind of religion that God is looking for. It's not about a self-centered focus. It's about putting God first, others second, and then you third. That's where true joy is found. That's where true blessing is found. And so this morning, the question I want to ask you is this. Does your life bear the marks of a religion that is pleasing to God? And if not, maybe God's calling you today to reevaluate your priorities. Maybe God is calling you today to, to repent of those areas in your life where you've been putting other things before him. Because maybe today is the day where God wants you to make a transformative change in your life that begins to uncover a whole new realm of blessing as you put God number one and seek to live by his truth. That's the promise of James. The man who looks intently into the perfect law and doesn't forget it, but does what it says. He will be blessed in all he does. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, You've given us a challenging word here this morning. But you gave us this word because you know that as your children, just like human children, are so prone to disobedience, so prone to wandering and rebellion, that, that we need these challenging reminders occasionally to continue to walk faithfully in your ways. And so, Lord, I thank you that even though these words are sometimes challenging, that they remind us where true life is found, where true blessing is found, where true joy is found, and it's found in putting you first and humbly receiving your word and then obediently following it. And that's where blessing is found. And so, Lord, I just pray for my friends here this morning that as we leave here today, that we would be inspired with a renewed vision to live our lives by the truth that we hear each Sunday morning that we would be inspired to, to pick up our Bibles throughout the week and let your word uh, be implanted in our hearts and thereby begin to transform us and bear fruit in our lives. God, let us be a people who walk humbly in obedience, following your revealed truth for us. Slow to listen, slow to speak, slow to become, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. People who humbly receive your perfect truth and experience the blessing that comes from that. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you for the power that it has to transform our hearts. Do that to us and help us walk in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.